So yes, next week you get an extra hour of sleep, which means if you want to, you can come to an earlier service. Isn't it crazy? Last week, Sunday and Monday, it's like raining and freezing cold, which I guess I'd rather have this for the pumpkin launching than that, so yay. Last Monday, we actually went and, and grabbed a bunch of extra pumpkins to take to the pumpkin thing today in the rain. Like, we, we showed up, it's just pouring, put all the pumpkins in, unload all the pumpkins, and as soon as we're done, the sun comes out. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, so yeah, you get an extra hour of sleep next week and come early if you want to. Uh, welcome to Element. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app in your smartphone. It's called Version. You click on Live and Version. It'll bring us up by GPS. You'll get all the sermon notes, uh, verses, questions, everything we talk about. Two things as we go. The first one is our pumpkin killing today. So... You should be inviting everybody. This isn't just for you. We do this so you can invite your friends and neighbors who think church is just stupid. They don't want to go to something like that. Invite them to this. It'll change their perception. So if they have kids, 1 o'clock, come out. On, on the communion tables, you got these directions. It says pumpkin carving. This is what we call pumpkin killing. This is directions how to get there. We got hundreds and hundreds of pumpkins. There's plenty. They're free. You don't have to bring one. Just bring kids and you. If you like carving them, go you. You know, show up and carve your pumpkins. If you're hungry, you can't get some to eat. I think they're selling hot dogs for a buck, but there's like a bounce house and like goldfish game and some other game and face painting and all kinds of crazy stuff because we're out of control with the face painting. But anyway, so go, show up for that, and then between about 2.30 to 3.30, we're going to start sending you over to the launching site. It's at a different place. Now, the launching site, what you're going to do is you're going to drive over, you're going to basically drive down to the end of Clark and just kind of park up and down the end of Clark. We have a bus that's going to pick you up and then take you out to where it is. The guy that owns the land uh, just didn't want a bunch of cars parked out there, so we're going to bus you guys over and drop you off. What you should bring, you should bring some sunscreen, a lawn chair, a hat, maybe some water, something so you don't pass out and die because it's going to be so awesome you might even wet yourself and lose all the water inside your body. Because it is amazing. We were out last night test firing the thing, and I'm like... You know, I'm all excited, and we should, I couldn't even sleep last night, because it's just so many, last year, okay, last year, if you went, what am I, okay, last year, if you went, we shot the thing, and we're like, oh no, there's a mountain in the way, because I went over the mountain, this year, we've got more land, so you actually, it's boom, and you'll lose, you're like, where'd it go, and the field just didn't go, boom, in the field, it's just Okay, so so come. Now, if you want to bring your pumpkin you carved and throw it in there, that's cool. We'll let you do it. But I'll warn you, it's going to go boom, and it's going to splatter. Now, it's not going to get everybody right away. It's going to go boom, splatter. You can be like, oh, that was cool. And then about 30 seconds later, you're going to be like, boom, 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 right? Because it comes back. I was going to bed last night and looked at my T-shirt, and I'm like, oh, I still got pumpkin on me because... One kind of blew up as it went out. But it takes a while to fall back and hit you. It's also awesome. So make sure you don't wear your Sunday best, or if you do come to Element, wear your Sunday best because it looks like this, and you're fine. So come out with a... Seriously, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Bring everybody you know. Drag the homeless guys you pull out of the parking lot. Drag him with you. Bring him. We'll feed him pumpkin and hot dogs and let him watch the launch. It'll be amazing. Just bring everybody you know. Actually, I went to a foster parent training thing yesterday, and I invited everybody there to come. So hopefully they'll come and hang out and, and be like, this is pretty awesome, because it is. All right, now, my second thing in this is Wednesday night is Halloween, okay, Halloween. Now, with, without trying to offend half of you in this room, don't 
on Halloween, don't go to some harvest festival at a church, all right? Halloween is the best holiday of the year where you get to know your neighbors. You got kids, take them out trick-or-treating. Go to your neighbor's house because you knock on your neighbor's door, they open it, they say hi to you, and they give you candy. What better day to get to know your neighbors than the day when they're happy to see you? If you don't have kids, your kids are like, oh, I'm too old for that. You know, well, then stay home and hand out candy. And your neighbors come to your house. You get to meet people in your neighborhood. It's a great holiday to do that. So don't run away from your neighborhoods. Give out candy. Now, now again, when you give out candy, you got to give out good candy. All right? Don't, I, we don't want the, the butterscotch in the yellow wrapper or the mint in the clear wrapper. You know, you're a Christian. That means you give out Kit Kats and, and Reese's and hundred grands. Some with a name on it. God, you want when people leave your house to go to their parents and say, Christians live there. Now, I kind of, if you've been to my house, I live kind of, thank you. <laughs> All the kids are going, yeah. Okay, at my house, uh, we're kind of set back. So if people come to my house, we give out full-size candy bars. Because I'm telling you, ooh, where do you live, right? Okay, because, so, I mean, if you make the trek, you need the energy to get back. So, so I got like, you know, full Kit Kats, you know, the four bars, not the half the size with the two, but the full Kit Kats. And, and what I got, I got uh, M&M's, big bags, not the fun size, the real size. Fun size. That'll make kids like it. The real size. You know, and so I got full size stuff to hand out. Last year, so funny, Donald, one of my friends, shows up in his, in his uh, Darth Maul costume. Trick or treat. And I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, because he wants full size candy bar. Have I made my point? All right. Stay on the arena, God's word. We'll get going. That's all the humor you get, by the way, because this message is actually very serious. So <laughs> laugh it up now. Uh, Psalm 71, verse 18 says this, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would make us into a people who actually live that way. That not just today with pumpkin launching or with Halloween and meeting our neighbors then, but we'd be a people who live missionally in everything we do. And that you'd be lifted up by how we live our lives and you would get great glory as you give your people much joy. Amen. Have a seat. So this is Genesis week 39. If this is your first time here, you haven't missed much, just 38 weeks. Uh, Two things. Uh, You can go to our website, download any ones that you have missed, unless you really hate today, then you can never have to come back and don't worry about it. Uh, Or you can go to iTunes, you get our podcast, you can download them all. Hope you got a lot of driving to do because there's a lot in there. So today what we do is we get to the death of one of the most beloved people in the scripture, a guy named Abraham. He's had a life that's been ups and downs, lies, truth, fights, reconciliation, despair, hope, faithlessness, faithfulness. Seems like a lot of our lives. It kind of looks just that same way. And in the end, what Abraham does is he gives his son Isaac the best thing he could. And that is the conviction of a faith in a God who speaks and redeems all of our mistakes. And so what Isaac tries to do after this, he starts trying to follow in his father's footsteps, literally he will make some of the same mistakes that his father did. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks because it's just dumb that he does the same things. And so what you see, though, is he still has faith in God in the midst of all of this. Now, also in the story, Abraham 
has another son. This son's name is Ishmael. And Ishmael has anger and bitterness over what happened to him as a teenager, and he never really fully recovers from that anger and bitterness. This is an idea that we must be a people who understand legacy. The scriptures are all about this idea of legacy. Today is going to be very practical. If you've been around for a while, you've probably heard me say everything I'm going to say to you this morning. You're just going to hear it again. If you're a guy, I'm going to hammer on you a little bit. If you're a girl, just a tiny bit, but mostly I'm going to hammer on guys for a little bit. But this is something we all need to hear. It is that we do not live just for ourselves and our own wants because behind us will come children. And children are going to look at how we live and they're going to model their lives on that. It's one of the reasons why at Element we do baby dedications. When we do a baby dedication, what we do is we hold the child up and we basically dedicate our lives to that child and to Jesus that we're going to live a certain way. So as this child grows up, they will see what real Christianity looks like lived out, what a faith looks like actually is lived out like. In the text of the scriptures, we see that children turn into nations and beliefs and works. And so we cannot think that we are just in this alone, that what we do doesn't matter. It's like these basketball players on TV. Well, I'm not a role model. Really? You know what? The scripture says if you think that you're not a role model for somebody, then you're a fool. Because everybody, somebody's looking at you. No matter who you are, someone's going to be looking at you. And you're a fool if you think nobody is. See, we all come from a family line. If you have a good dad, you honor and respect fatherhood. You have a bad dad or no dad, you simply respect what fatherhood is supposed to be. So one day, if you have kids, they will respect fatherhood. Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, If therefore our houses be houses of the Lord, we shall for that reason love home, reckoning our daily devotion the sweetest of our daily delights, and our family worship the most valuable of our family comforts. A church in the house will be a good legacy. Nay, it will be a good inheritance to be left to your children after you. This is why legacy is so important, because our kids are going to be like us. Even though I know they say they hate you, and they don't like you, want nothing to do with you, they will actually turn out just like you. And so we must show what faith looks like as we live it out. This is why I tell you, we are a people who live on mission for Christ's name in everything we do, no matter where we are. And this whole idea actually starts in the scriptures with the idea of a wedding and a marriage. See, the story of God is one of good news. It begins with a wedding ceremony. After God makes the heavens and the earth and he fills it all, he makes a man and a woman and he unites them in marriage. God created marriage for his purposes, not ours. That means marriage belongs to him. He determined that marriage would be the sacred union, that he would build the foundation for establishing families and ultimately society and culture upon. So meaning and legacy starts in our own homes. Marriage is God-defined between the beginning as you know, a man and a woman for an entire lifetime. That's what it's supposed to look like in covenant relationship. Genesis 2.24 says this, Proverbs 2.16, Malachi 2.14. Moses, when he first characterizes this in Genesis 2.24, says this, Therefore, because of marriage, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So if you're unmarried and you want to know the process, here's the process that you do. Number one, leave. If you're a dude, leave your father and mother. Ladies of a man comes to you and he says, marry me. Two questions. Number one, do you love Jesus? Okay, it's a good question. And number two, where are we going to live? If he says, at my mom's house, run away. Okay, just run in their direction. If a man has not learned how to take care of himself, how's he going to take care of you and eventually children? If you're at his house, son's dinner ready. Oh, your laundry's done. You know what you're going to be? Mommy. That's what you're going to be. And it may seem appealing at first because, oh, they need me. But one day it's going to get very old when you've got to take care of him and the other kids at the same time. Getting married doesn't make a man. It can be a benefit, but it doesn't make one. Men must know how to put their pants on, how to work a job. A marriage is like plugging you into an amplifier. Whatever you are, it just gets louder. Just 
Some of you know this. Okay, it just gets louder. If a lazy bum gets married, he becomes a bigger lazy bum. Throw two to three kids in that mix. Huge problem. Marriage is for men. Guys should find a place to live, have their own church, their own theological convictions. Secondly, united to his wife. That's marriage. And third thing is one flesh. That's sex. The pro- and, and sex is great, okay? Get married. I recommend it for all of you. Ten out of ten people who try sex like sex. It's Good, okay. So the problem is guys are looking for shortcuts. And ladies, uh, on, I'll get into your case for a second, you let them get away with these shortcuts, and that's not legacy. Most guys don't care if they grew up, how they grew up, when they grew up, if they get married, but they want sex. So they look at a woman and they say, oh, I love you. And a woman says, oh, you love me? Well, I'll act like a wife then. All the while, you know he has no intention of acting like a husband. You gotta look at that guy and you gotta say, you don't love me like Jesus loves me. You don't love me enough to grow up and commit and provide. That makes you a liar. Just say that and they'll run away. That's all you gotta say. This is a process and the process is important in regard to legacy. Today, everybody's sleeping together and yet statistically, every person you sleep with before you get married, including your future spouse, increases your odds of divorce because there's no such thing as practice commitment. Either you're married or you're not. So you've got to grow up, get married, enjoy your spouse. When Adam and Eve lay together naked, there was no shame. You know, today it's all, hey, honey, oh, don't look at me. Oh, I'm naked. I'm my wife all the time. I'm like, I'm like woman, no shame. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, stop it. Don't you dare say that in church either. I'm like, okay. <laughs> This is it. We have so messed up that we have so much shame. And then there's, and then where our hope in, in, in relationships and marriage is, oh, I hope they don't get pregnant. Like, like a baby's a cancer, or you're gonna be punished with a baby or something. So we start aborting them. You know, babies are about legacy. They're a hope and a trust from God. And if you are unmarried, you've gotta be clear with the person you decide to marry about issues of kids and manhood and womanhood, and make sure you're on the same page because you do not want to spend your married life arguing about things that should simply be simple. This is why I always warn non-Christians, do not marry a Christian. What Christians tend to do is to take all their beliefs and, and morals and they set them to the side and they date somebody and then they get married. And as soon as they get married, all their beliefs and morals come back and the non-Christian's like, who in the world is this? That's not the same person I was dating. And it happens every single time. You've got to live what you say you believe. That's legacy. I'll tell you, my wife, I, I prayed for my wife before I ever met her, before I even knew who she was. I prayed that God would keep her safe and that he would kill other men who wanted to touch her. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. I did. God, if some man lays a hand on her, have him just die on the spot. And maybe they'll get the idea. Okay, I'm just, seriously. If you are wasting your money going into debt, looking at porn, that is not loving her, even if you have not met her yet. You've got to be in covenant before you ever meet her. Your legacy starts today, whether you're married or not. That's the idea of the scriptures. In the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew 19 and Mark uh, 10 and Paul in Ephesians 5 affirm and agree with Moses' definition of marriage. And that is, it's exclusive. It's a man and a woman for an entire lifetime. Abraham messes that up. But in the end, he kind of tries to work it back together and make it better. Now, his wife helped in the middle of that, obviously. but you know. And secondly, it is defined not by temporal family ties, but by a permanent covenant relationship and promises. Leave your father and mother. Abraham Abraham does that. It's a lifetime commitment. Hold fast to your spouse. And Abraham did that. It is intimacy and oneness. All this comes together as they become one flesh. Now he messes that up, but he in the end tries to come back and make that a little bit better. And what you see is marriage was never meant to be an end in itself. As the story unfolds, it reveals God's greater intention for it. It reveals what his relationship with us was supposed to be, a covenant promise. 
See, God's love for his people has always been steadfast and sure. He holds fast to them in a permanent, exclusive, intimate, covenantal relationship. And vows and promises are part of this. Just like you know, a husband and a, and a wife, and on their wedding day, they make these vows to one another. They promise to love each other solely, each other for a lifetime, regardless of circumstances. Throughout the scriptures, there are numerous parallels drawn between God's covenant with his people and the covenant that a husband and wife makes when they get married. Specifically, God calls himself a husband and his people his bride. Isaiah 54, Isaiah 62, Jeremiah 2, Revelation 19, 21, 22. God shows how a legacy is to be imparted because God does what he says. God keeps his promises always, and he is better at keeping promises than we are. All the way from Genesis 3, there's been this problem in that God makes promises and he keeps them, and we make promises and we break them. And we break them from simple and mundane stuff. When someone's having a hard time, oh, I'll pray for you. We're not really going to pray for them. We just say that to get them out of our hair because it's really uncomfortable. Oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, and we don't actually do it. If you say it, follow through and do it. You go for a job interview and you walk in, you say, you know what? I'm going to give you 100% every day. I'm going to work so hard for you. Oh, and then six months later, you're like every other whiner at your workplace. It's like, oh, I hate my job. I hate my boss. I hate this job. Really? You made a promise. I'm going to work hard for you. And what are you doing? And the same thing goes in marriage. You know, till death do us part, and yet we give up on these things. Legacy is about keeping our promises that we make. When when the people of God sin against him, this whole idea of marriage, they chase after other gods, their sinful deeds are named spiritual adultery or whoredom. That's really strong language. Like if I stood up here and I said, you're a whore, I'd get hate mail. Not that I don't already, but I'd get more hate mail than, than what I normally get. But it's really an accurate description of this destructive nature of rebellion against a holy, loving, good, and perfect God. In Jeremiah 3, 6, it says, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? She was doing everybody. That's, that's when Israel was chasing after all these other gods and not being true to what they said they were going to do. I mean, if you really want to see how God feels about this, at some day you should read Ezekiel 23. I will not read it to you from up here because you'd probably fire me. That is how graphic God talks about what he feels like people running away from him and worshiping other gods is like. That's how graphic it is. And the point is we don't sin in a vacuum. Someone is always, beginning with God, sinned against. But God continually and passionately he is faithful and he pursues and intervenes, provides payment for sin for these rebellious children that you and I always are. Now, it's clear that the biblical roles of husband and wife, in the end, are less about what the couple should do and more, than, and more about what Christ has actually done for us and in us. Because married couples who love Jesus have the opportunity to know and accept each other deeply, and then they get to model this for their children. Because kids are going to learn that loving someone is not easy. Anybody married? It's true, right? It's like, oh, no, it's a walk in the park. It's great. No, I know. My wife tells me I'm crazy all the time because I know I'm crazy. It, loving someone is not easy. But when you're a Christian, you get to realize Christ died for their sins and mine. Jesus was crucified, so you get to stop crucifying your spouse when they do something stupid and realize that Jesus paid for the sin, and you can learn to love and forgive and begin to move on in your relationship. Kids get to understand that they can love because Christ first loved them. They don't need to fear intimacy or confessing sin. They can walk in freedom and faith and repentance. Since they have been given grace and forgiven, they can offer grace and forgiveness to each other. Because God has been kind to them, they can be kind to one another. 
another. This is what legacy looks like lived out practically. It is how they will see, especially once you get married, they're going to see what that looks like in a covenant relationship. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ in God forgave you. This is the idea, that the scriptures come down to this idea of a wedding. It actually culminates in Jesus bringing his bride, the church, home to live with him permanently. That is our hope. It has always been the hope of the bride of Christ, and it's our legacy to share that by how we live. Now, open your Bibles to Genesis 25. We are actually going to get to Genesis today. You're welcome. Okay. You get kind of the whole point of the message, me yelling at you all up front, and then we'll walk through this. What happens today is you're going to see how Abraham dies. And what you're going to see is the legacy that he leaves, the good, the bad, and the ugly, of everything that's left behind by him. So Genesis 25, verse 1. Abraham took another wife. We don't know when. There's a big debate on that. But he gets remarried again, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim and Letushim and Lemumim. You don't know if I'm saying it right, right? Whatever, we're good. Okay. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Hanak, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he ha- all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Now, these are some things that people always want to look overlook about Abraham's life. He Sarah dies. What does he do? He gets remarried. He's probably very lonely, doesn't know how to be alone. And a lot of Jewish commentators and non-Jewish commentators believe that Keturah was actually Hagar. That Abraham went out, got her, and brought her back. Because he had been leaving a terrible legacy by, by having her leave, and he tried to bring her back to make things a little bit better. This is actually borne out in the text, because the word concubines in the text, plural, that's to show that it's not Sarah, it's someone else besides Sarah that had these kids. But the word concubines in the Hebrew, it doesn't have this letter yod on the end, which, which means it's actually singular. It's one, concubine. And so that means it would have to probably refer to Hagar. And a lot of people have these questions then about, about polygamy and stuff in, in, in the Bible. Like, we'll deal with that in a few weeks when we get to Jacob, who's Isaac's son, who marries two women. But you've got to understand, in the scriptures, it never condones big love. All right? It never does that. It never has a big love attitude. It doesn't condone polygamy. It just tells you what people did, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, a man, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Now, the wording for these last few lines is actually unique to Abraham. The wording shows his quality of life. He's flawed, but he loved God. He had a, left a legacy. Many people today will say the Old Testament doesn't even talk about an afterlife. This is a huge huge debate in Jesus' day, actually. But the words gather to his people, it's actually a specific reference to death being a transition where Abraham is actually with those united that God had saved. And so what it shows is that God was faithful to his promises to Abraham. Faithful. God had promised to bless him. God did bless him. God said he would get the promised land. He was buried there. When he rises, he will rise and be resurrected from there. He promised that they would have a son through Sarah. He got that promised son. Genesis 15.5, he promised that he would live to a good old age. Just saw he lived to a good old age. He had promised that nations and kings and peoples would come from him, and that actually happens. In Genesis 17.7, God says, your son is going to follow me, and that actually happens. These promises are to show that God is good when he makes a promise. God leaves a good legacy. We can trust him. But now you see Abraham's legacy that's left to Isaac and eventually to Ishmael. 
what you see is three main shaping events in his life in chapter 25. I mean, four if you look at him getting married last week, but three in this chapter. The first one is he buries his dad. The second one is he's got to define the quality of his relationship with his family, with his brother. And next week he has kids of his own. He is two, well, his wife has two kids, you know. We know how that works, guys, right? Okay, so these are life transitions that we all go through. Many of us haven't buried a parent. Some of us have, but you lose someone, and it's difficult. This is the Abraham transitions over to Isaac. Verse 9, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite east of Mamre. These boys who don't like each other come together and bury their dad. The field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife, so he's buried with Sarah. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahoy, Roy. So one generation passes, the other comes into its prime. Isaac is now head of this family, and he's the one that loves the Lord. We know this because he goes to Beer Lahoy Roy. This is the place where God met Hagar. It's where Isaac was praying for his wife that she could actually have a baby. It's where God showed up. It shows you Isaac is a guy who wants to be near God. It's a beautiful legacy that he was left from Abraham. But now there's also a bad and ugly. Verse 12. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nabioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Nafish, and Kadima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. So these boys, they come together, they bury their dad. Does Isaac and Ishmael get along again? No, not so much. Okay, not so much. Again, this is Abraham's mistake. How this happens is God says to Abraham, go to the land I'm going to show you. And so Abraham packs everything up and follows where God tells him to go. They're in this land God showed him, and a famine hits. Abraham gets really afraid. There's a famine. What am I supposed to do? So he packs his family up and moves down to Egypt. God didn't tell him to go there. In Egypt, they get a servant named Hagar, and they finally get things together. They move back to where God told him to be. But all of a sudden, years go by. They don't have the promised son. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, said, well, why don't you have sex with my, with my maid servant Hagar, and then she'll make a baby, and we'll call that the promised son, and it'll all be good. And Abraham goes, all right, I'll have sex with her. Cool. Right? So he does. And then, but later what happens is Sarah actually has the promised son. So Abraham, he's got a wife with the baby and a girlfriend with the baby. It's like I say, it's like a bad episode of Cops. Right? Trailer door opens up and there's the girlfriend and the baby and the wife and the baby. It's like, oh my goodness, you know what's going on? This is, this is Abraham's ugly, bad legacy. It doesn't work out so well. There's a whole lot of animosity even to this day. They set it aside to come together to bury their dad, but there's still a lot of animosity there. Anybody have family feuds? In your family? It's like my family's here. I can't raise my hand. Okay, we got it, right? We all, right? It's in the scriptures. It happens to everybody. But you got to see, God was also faithful to Ishmael. God promised Abraham, I'll take care of the boy, and God does. Again, God is good on his promises. God promised, Genesis 16.10, that Ishmael would have descendants. He had descendants. In 16.12, God said he's going to fight with all of his brothers, and he does that. In Genesis 17.20, says nations and kings and rulers are going to come from Ishmael. And so Ishmael has 12 sons that become 12 nations. If you really want to see how all this works out, you can read Romans 9 through 11. Jacob, Esau, Isaac, Ishmael, it speaks all about this. But it's this conflict and frustration since the day that Abraham the Hebrew had sex with Hagar the Egyptian that wasn't his wife and made a baby and they ended up becoming the Arabs. There's nothing wrong with Arabs. Jesus loves them. He loves us. He loves, them. He loves Jesus loves everybody. It's the idea of what Abraham's legacy led to in the midst of all this turmoil. 
and Abraham is dead, how's his kids going to actually decide on the relationship? Verse 18 is how this looks. He, that's Ishmael, settled over against all of his kinsmen. This is literally translated as he lived in hostility towards his brothers. It has been millennia since this happened, and they still haven't made up. But what Moses notes in the scriptures is that Ishmael is the one who lived in hostility and not Isaac. And a lot of people say, well, well, Moses, he's a Hebrew. Of course he would say that. It's the other guy. Well, let me ask you a question. Have the scriptures ever shied away from pointing out when somebody's a total knucklehead? Never. I think if, if Isaac was a total weenie to Ishmael, I'd say, Isaac was a weenie. It would tell you, it might be not in those words, but it would say that, right? It would say, and Isaac was a total tool to his brother. But it doesn't tell you that. I mean, this is, this is the whole idea in here that, that Moses shows, you know, they showed up for Abraham's funeral, but does Isaac go to Ishmael's? No, he doesn't go. It shows that Ishmael probably lived in such animosity and hostility towards Isaac that he wasn't welcome at his brother's funeral. And that's bitterness, just like there is still in the Middle East to this day. I'll tell you, families are a major source of pain and frustration in our lives. You don't say amen, right? I know, you're thinking it, okay? Isaac handled this by letting go of the bitterness. He lets Ishmael move away. He lets Ishmael raise his family. He lets Ishmael die. He lets him have his funeral. Does he hate Ishmael? The scriptures don't seem to indicate that. They seem to indicate that he lets it go, which lets you know if there's a situation in your life and you can do nothing to fix it, it does not help you to get cruel or bitter because it just makes you a nasty person. What you need to do when there's nothing you can do about it is just let it go. And that's what Isaac does. He moves on to the third stage of his life, and he starts raising a family of his own and starts passing on his own legacy, good, bad, and ugly. When I meet people, when I meet people in my office for premarital counseling, uh, I usually talk about the difference between ideals and values. And see, ideals are what you say you believe. It's like, oh, I love Jesus. I want to follow him. Uh, I, I think that I should live on a budget. I don't think I should be mean and gossip about people. Uh, I think that reality TV is destroying the world, you know, things like that, right? Now, values are what you actually believe because they're what you actually do. You know, do you really love Jesus and live like he actually calls you to? Do you have huge amounts of debt and don't live on a budget? Do you cut people down or talk about behind, behind their back when you're mad at them? Do you watch American Idol? You know, all, all, all these things. Because when you leave a legacy behind you, it will be the values that get left, not your ideals. Which means we need to make our ideals our values and begin to live those so our children behind us begin to live our values and not our ideals. It's not do as I say and not as I do. It's do as I do. That's what we're supposed to leave behind us. See, God always lives his values. Always. They say, don't ever say always or never. God always lives his values. It's why redemption from the very beginning promised in Genesis 3 costs God the life of his son because he is true to the promises he makes. Part of redemption is our call home to return to who and what God intended for us to be, the legacy that God left for us. He continues to show for us. The question becomes for you and I is what kind of legacy are we leaving versus what kind of legacy has been left for us? See, you may have done some crazy stuff like Abraham in your life, but just like Abraham, God can come and redeem that. And you can do the best that you can to bring that back and try and work it out. That's why one of the reasons I think Abraham went and he brought Hagar back. He realized it was a terrible mistake and he probably tried to bring her back to do something about it. Now, it didn't all work out right or correctly in the end because Ishmael was still very angry. You know, but it probably brought a little bit of relief to that situation. And so when you've you got something crazy in your past, if you can do something to fix it, you fix it. And when something's done, somebody does something to you and it's not going to get fixed, you've got to let it go. And move on. You don't let the bitterness creep in because you have a legacy to live. And it's a legacy that represents what Christ has done for you and I as a people. So we can better reflect who he is. This is, again, one of the reasons we come to communion every single week. 
When you break that cracker, it reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So that we can literally be this people of legacy. We can be this people who don't have to be those who we used to be. We can be brand new creatures and brand new people. And our lives can actually look different. The band's going to come up. They will do a couple songs. And as they do, we invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And maybe if you've been living a life that's a terrible legacy and you want it to change, you just don't know how, go and pray with them. Maybe something's been done to you, you know, a bad part of a legacy, an ugly part of a legacy, and you don't know how to let that go. Well, go and pray with them. They'd love to pray with you about that as well. I mean, maybe bitterness and anger is just sitting inside of you and you just you don't know what to do with it. Well, you know what you do? You pray, give it to Jesus, let it go, grow and move on. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. Because I'll tell you, Jesus died for that sin that was done to you as much as the sin that you've done to somebody else. And our lives need to begin to be looking different as we show God's legacy that he has imparted to us as a people. This is why church isn't about meeting together in this room. Church is about what we do outside these walls. Church is about pumpkin killing and and handing out candy to strange kids on Halloween. It's about how you treat people at work and, and how you treat your neighbors and your friends and your, and your family at home. That's, that's what Christianity is lived like. That's the legacy. And we've got to be living it so people know the legacy that God has left and imparted to his people. We live in a way that he is glorified by all that we do. Let's pray. Part of this morning, I ask that we would be a people who begin to understand legacy better that we would understand that you have called us to something bigger and greater than we can even fathom. And so I ask that you would take us and have us see that your great kindness is what leads us to the place of repentance and that our past and what's been done to us does not have to define us. But the legacy that you have imparted to us does. So have us be a people who react and respond and live as you have called us to. Being those who glorify you by our lives, by what we say, by what we do, so that those we come into contact with would know who you are by the way your children represent who you are. Father, we thank you for your great legacy of promises that have been kept. And we ask that in our lives, the promises that we have not kept, that we'd be able to go and do something about that. That we'd be able to live differently from this day forward. And that we would realize that behind us will come children and nations and beliefs. And I ask that you would make us into a people where all those that come behind us would glorify and honor you. Because you are the God who has been revealed to them. Father, we ask that you would use us as a people to make this entire world stand in awe of your great goodness. Have us worship and honor you in everything that we do. We ask these things in your son's great and good name. Amen.